0: It's Friday, December 23rd, and it looks like another Christmas is upon us. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve. It's one of my favorite holidays, my favorite still being Thanksgiving. But uh, Christmas Eve, I really love. And among people of my uh, heritage, Christmas Eve is more festive, more anticipated, more looked forward to, more magical even than Christmas Day. By Christmas Day, it's all over. It's an afterthought, the anticipation of Christmas Eve is what makes it golden. So I thought, despite running around the last minute for Christmas um, shopping and what have you, that uh, I would visit with you and do a show before the actual holiday and take the opportunity to wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and a happy and healthy New Year. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do so in one of several easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store, the iTunes App Store, and simply search out the Jamie Dury Show, or you can download the free Podbean app at either of those two locations, and you can listen to the show that way. Either way, you can subscribe, you can leave comments, leave reviews, and we desperately need more of both if we're to grow the show at the rate we wish to grow it, to be a force to be reckoned with by the time the midterm elections come around. I'm not the midterm elections, I'm sorry. The general election, the presidential election comes around in 2024, and I have every confidence that we will be. But right now, I want to pick up on some things we spoke about yesterday and sort of segue into a new facet of this overall attempt to undermine the American way of life, our government, and undermine our electoral process and our freedoms. Yesterday, I spoke to you about a two-day trial that's taking place in Arizona uh, as a result of a lawsuit filed by gubernatorial candidate Kerry Lake, Against Katie Hobbs and the state of Arizona and various defendants and officials in Maricopa County for the way they botched the election. Now, Carrie Lake released a statement Thursday after the trial saying that her lawyers proved that there was malicious intent that caused disruption during Maricopa County's November 8th election, although lawyers for Arizona's Secretary of State office That's, uh, by the way, in case you didn't know, Katie Hobbs's office. The woman who runs the election was also the woman who was running for governor. So it's very convenient to be in charge of the office that decides the elections, um, uh, any controversies when you're seeking to get elected to a higher office. She argued that uh, Katie, uh, Carrie Lake, didn't offer any evidence of alleged fraud or misconduct. Abba Khanna, that's a name you don't see every day, uh, who was the lawyer representing Ms. Hobbs, said in court in Maricopa County that the attorneys for Kerry Lake did not establish whether printer problems on Election Day were intentional acts that would have changed the race's outcome had they not occurred. In the closing arguments, she said that Lake's claims were based on hearsay, speculation, and theatrics. She called them loose threads and gaping holes. One of the attorneys for Ms. Lake, uh, Mr. Kurt Olson, said that officials are deliberately trying to downplay the effects of the printer problems in Maricopa County. Uh, on November 8th, County Supervisor Bill Gates and the recorder Stephen Richer announced during a news conference that there were printer errors at dozens of polling locations countywide, telling voters to either drop their ballots inside drop boxes or go to another polling location. He said, This is about trust, Your Honor. It's about restoring people's trust. There's not a person that's watching this thing that isn't shaking their head now. Now, I have to agree with Mr. Olson. First of all, we spoke yesterday about how there were ballots that deliberately seemed to have a 19 inch image printed onto a 20 inch sheet of paper. Now, the effect of this is that unless you adjust, The settings in the machines that are reading the ballots is the ballots will be rejected and not read. So I would say that the intention here, this was not accidental, the intention was to deliberately flood the system with ballots that would not be able to be read by the machines so that people voting on election day would have their ballots not counted and force them to either fill out a new one or go to a new location all of which takes time, inconveniences people, and hopefully discourages them from eventually voting. And since, as I said yesterday, Republicans vote in far greater numbers on election day than Democrats, this sort of thing disproportionately affects Republican voters and suppresses Republican votes, not Democratic votes. Now, the Superior Court judge in the case, Mr. Peter Thompson, who happened to be appointed by the previous Republican governor, not this Ducey, not this idiot that's there now, uh, Governor Jan Brewer. He did not say when he would issue a ruling. But after the two-day trial, Carrie Lake told reporters that she believes her attorneys presented a case that would potentially change the outcome of the election. A lawsuit that she filed earlier in the month called for either a redo of the election in Maricopa County or an outright declaration of her victory over Hobbes. She said, quote, We provided expert testimony. We provided experts. The other side brought in activists to try to save face. They admitted that they've known about these ballot problems. They are ballot problems. She said her lawyers proved without a shadow of a doubt that there was malicious intent that caused disruption so great it changed the results of the election. We demand fair, honest, transparent elections, and we will get them. And I pray so hard for this judge. No question, there's a lot of uh, political pressure on this judge. At one point during the trial, Lake's attorneys pointed to a witness who found that 14 of 15 duplicate ballots he inspected on their behalf had 19 inch images of the ballot printed on 20 inch paper, meaning the ballots wouldn't be read by the tabulator. The witness testified that such a change would have required a change to printer configurations. So, what, they, what he's trying to say is, the system is set up so that these ballots can be read by a tabulator, yes? The ballots are printed on 20-inch paper. The people who set up these ballots, the printing of them, know that you have to have a 20-inch image On the ballot in order for it to print correctly so that it can be read by the tabulating machines no one therefore would use a 19-inch image on a 20-inch piece of paper unless it was deliberate and that is the heart of the matter here this was a deliberate change to make sure that these things would not work now Carrie Lake also called as a witness, a pollster, Richard Barris, who told the court that he believes technical problems at polling places had disenfranchised enough voters that it would have changed the outcome of the race in Lake's favor. He noted that election day voters in Maricopa County mostly trended Republican. He stated that 25,000 to 40,000 people who would normally have voted actually didn't cast ballots as a result of Election Day problems, saying that his estimate was primarily influenced by the number of people who started answering his exit poll but didn't finish the process. Quote, the bottom line here is that those who said they would cast their vote by mail or drop their ballot off by mail completed their questionnaire at a 93% rate, adding that the rate for Election Day voters was only 72%. I can tell you that has never happened to me before ever. So he is stating that based on his mathematical uh, formulas that he's used to analyze elections in the past, that this indicates to him that approximately 25 to 40,000 people who would normally have voted didn't cast ballots as a result of these election day problems. And the state of Arizona, or specifically the county of Maricopa and its election officials, are trying to maintain that because people could vote, if they wanted to go to a different place and didn't mind spending three or four hours going from place to place until they found one that actually had functioning tabulating machines, uh, that because a vote was possible, regardless of how uh, onerous or inconvenient the task, that these people were therefore not disenfranchised. And this is wrong. As a practical matter, you have to know that people want to vote, uh, people who do want to vote, you know, want to go out there and, and make their vote count, and they want to do their civic duty. But there's a limit to how much or to what extent they wish to have their lives disrupted in order to discharge this duty. And people who have to get in their car and go to a different place and then a different place, especially if they're elderly, at some point they're going to throw up their hands and just not vote. And I think that is exactly what happened. And remember, we have a state where the margin was about 17,000 votes. So if this man is stating that 25 to 40,000 people who would normally have voted didn't, and that the overwhelming majority of those votes in Maricopa County would be Republican, there is a point of contention here that this election would have been something very, very different. Now, on the other side, a man named Kenneth Mayer, who was a political science professor at the University of Wisconsin, who was not a pollster involved in the race, claimed that Barris was engaging in making assumptions and speculation. I assume that uh, he has not read all of the data because it makes no mention here in this article where I'm getting these pull quotes that Mayer was retained by Ms. Hobbs. So obviously he's just looking at whatever information is available in the general uh, public domain, so he doesn't have specifics. So that's his opinion. He's entitled to it, but I don't think it carries much weight. So we have to wait and see now to see if there's going to be... I, I doubt very much the judge would invalidate the election. He'd be taking a big, big hit if he did that. So in my opinion, he's only going to do one of two things. He's either going to let the election stand as it is, but he's going to issue a scathing rebuke of the county of Maricopa and um, state that it was clearly... Uh, not a properly run election. There were many, many questions, and in in a very strong probability that maybe Ms. Hobbs didn't win, but in the interest of public order, I'm going to allow it to stand. I think that's a pretty weak argument, and I think all it would do would be to embolden the people in Maricopa County to engage in this sort of chicanery uh, in the future going forward. The other decision he could make, which I think is, if he's of the mind that the election was compromised would be the right thing to do is not to hold a new election because there is no evidence, as far as I can tell, that there was any widespread uh, election day problems outside of Maricopa County. But Maricopa County is the largest, most populous county in the state of Arizona. So I think what he should do is let all the other vote tallies in all the other counties stay as they are and be certified and have a new election only from Maricopa County with court supervision of that election. No tampering. And then see how it plays out and then take the results of that new election and add those numbers to the existing numbers from all the other remaining counties and see who wins. I think that's the way to go. So we'll be watching this and, uh, revisiting this issue as we get more information. But this is extremely interesting, particularly for all those people who try to claim that there's no such thing as a problem with the election. Everything is hunky-dory, okay fine It's not. Now, I told you that people are trying to take over this country. Activists, leftist activists are trying to take over this country, and they're doing it in many, many ways. They're doing it by letting our borders remain porous and bringing all manner of people and disease into this country. They're bringing in a permanently dependent class and they're bringing in criminals. They are doing it by challenging every fail-safe in every state on every election that was put in to try and preserve the integrity of the elections and referring or characterizing those uh, those measures as disenfranchising and engaging in voter suppression and they sue and they sue and they sue and they erode and they erode and they erode. And that's how we've come to this sorry state where we no longer have an election day in this country. We have election weeks where people can cast votes in all manner of ways, which only encourages and offers the opportunity for duplicate voting, repeat voting, multiple state voting, uh, multiple municipality voting. Uh, People may vote not only many times in one state, but may vote in many states because these states don't cross-reference their databases. Now, in local elections, that may not have a big play to be able to vote in multiple states, but when you're voting for a president, it's pretty convenient to be able to vote in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. And those states, if you live here, you know they border each other pretty closely and wouldn't be a hard trick to cast votes in all three places. So we have to watch these things. The other thing is, There was a big decision, beside the abortion decision, which we spoke about yesterday, there was a big decision by the United States Supreme Court against the state of New York, which had sought to restrict handgun ownership. Back in June, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that it was illegal to require New York applicants to show proper cause for carrying a handgun in public. See, the way these liberal states do it, particularly New York, my home state, they don't take the position that you have a right to carry a handgun. They say, you're going to have to show us why you need to carry a handgun. And if we don't think it's valid, we're not going to give it to you. The Supreme Court decision changed all that, saying it's a Second Amendment right. It, it is a fundamental right. It is not for the state to take away. It is God-given. It's given by the Constitution. And you cannot restrict it. Now, there are certain things that can restrict it. We know that uh, convicted felons, although Amy Coney Barrett had written a decision where she talked about the theory of ownership, saying that even that might not be sufficient. But right now, the law of the land is, for certain uh, valid reasons, you can restrict. But just but we, the out-and-out out requirement to have to show everyone the most vanilla and law-abiding among us to have to show proper cause, that's out. Uh, that ruling also invalidated New Jersey laws that restricted public carry to individuals who demonstrated a justifiable need, which is the same thing as showing proper cause, but different language. Well, shortly after that, Governor Murphy of New Jersey introduced Bill A-4769. This bill prohibits people from carrying firearms in quote-unquote sensitive places. The state of New York did the same thing. They said, well, we're not going to restrict the people's right to own guns. If the state, if the Supreme Court says we can't ask them to show a need, we'll give them the gun, but then we're not going to deny them to have the gun, but then we're just going to make sure that uh, they can't carry it anywhere because you can't carry it in. And listen to this list that New Jersey's got. These sensitive places include schools, nursing homes, hospitals. Courthouses, child care centers, polling places, government buildings, restaurants and bars where alcohol is served, parks, beaches, airports, demonstrations, casinos, movie theaters, and other entertainment centers. What else is left? Most people, when they go out, they go out to dinner, they go to an entertainment center, they go to a movie I assume that a movie theater is an entertainment center. It says movie theaters. They go to the movies. They go shopping. About the only place it seems you can carry a gun right now uh, is when you go shopping. That's about it. I don't see any stores on the list. But any other social thing, you go to a restaurant, you want to have a beer uh, with your meal, which doesn't make you a drunk or incompetent, uh, you can't carry the gun. This is why you would want the gun when you're out socially to protect your family from people who would try and rob you. They know you're going to a restaurant. They figure you have money. Not everybody uses a credit card. They want to steal your cards. They want to steal your identity. They want to steal your car. This is the reason why you'd want to carry a gun. Uh, I liken this to the liberal thinking with uh, smoking. Uh, not that, you know, smoking is used as a weapon, but the, ho- the whole notion that... They want you to believe that smoking is so bad for you. Okay, it's bad for us, fine. But they don't outlaw it. Instead, they legalize marijuana, which is another form of smoke. You can't tell me that's good for your lungs, and it's certainly not good for your brain. But they outlaw smoking, in a manner of speaking, by the same contrivance that they're attempting to vitiate the US Supreme Court decision, which says you can't force people to have to show cause or a need for why they have to have a gun by simply restricting where you can use it. They tell you that smoking is bad, that's why they want to tax it, but then they proceed to sell you a legal product that they tax the hell out of, and then they prohibit you from using it. In New York City, you can't smoke within 50 feet of the entrance of a building. You can't smoke in the workplace. He can't smoke in a restaurant, even though a restaurant is not a public place. It's a privately owned establishment, and the owner should be able to decide whether he wants people to smoke. I mean, to me, going into a restaurant as a patron and demanding that you prevent people from smoking there is like going into a Chinese restaurant and demanding that they serve you Italian food. You don't like the Chinese food in the restaurant, and you want to eat Italian food? Go to an Italian restaurant. You don't like the fact that the restaurant allows people to smoke? Don't go to that restaurant. Go to a restaurant where people aren't allowed to smoke. It's the way it really should be. That's what a free society is all about. So in New York City, you can't smoke within 50 feet of a building. You can't smoke in a building. You can't smoke in a bar. You can't smoke in a restaurant. You can't smoke in a public park. You can't smoke on a public transportation. You can't smoke. You can smoke in your home or outside some place that's not in 50 feet of a building, so you have to be ambulatory and ever moving. And now, in certain places, they don't even want you to be able to smoke in your home, saying that you live if you live in a multiple person dwelling, that you're responsible. Ready for this for the quote unquote migration of your smoke. Now, you sell me a perfectly legal product, you tax me. And then you prevent me from using that product? That's like selling you something. Say, oh, you are carrying something illegal. Let's take it back. That's got to be challenged. That can't be right. And I suspect that this lawsuit now that's been filed by the National Rifle Association against Governor Murphy and this bill that he just signed into law is going to work its way fast-tracked up through the circuit court and uh, past the district court, circuit court, onto the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court is going to smack it down as just what it is, an end run around that which they already have ruled on. And that is the one downside to a common law system of law as opposed to a code system of law. You know, there are certain places where the law is unambiguous. You pass the law, the law is it, and that's the end of it. Here, everything has to comport with the Constitution and its framework. So because we have a common law system, people don't just accept the decision as law, they accept it as an opinion and they try and uh, conveniently repackage their original um, position as something else that the court therefore has not specifically addressed so that it has to now work its way back up. So it's a very time consuming process as these things work their way up, these societal issues and constitutional issues work their way through our system. But I guess, ultimately, it's probably the best system we can have. It's the one that seems to have endured. And um, as long as it's not corrupted with ideologues, uh, it's probably a very, very good system. So why is this important? Well, this, 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 why is this ruling, why is this law important? Because this is just another example of how the government is trying to pare away people's rights. The First Amendment is the First Amendment for a reason. Because the Founding Fathers felt that the right to criticize the government, the right to free speech, was probably the most essential right in keeping a country and a people free and not suppressed. But they also recognized that that right to free speech wasn't worth the paper it was rented, uh, written on. If the people didn't have a way within their own power, in their own hands, and their own ability, to back up and enforce that right. And that's why the Second Amendment is the Second Amendment. The right to bear arms. Because they knew the minute the government could remove all arms from a people, they could suppress those people. And this example has been repeated time and time again throughout history. Nazi Germany. What did Hitler do before he took over the country? Took away all the guns. And even before the days of guns, even before the days of handguns and rifles and the sort of weapons we have today, it's always been something that governments that have conquered uh, Colonial-type powers that have taken over other countries have used to maintain power. In Ireland, where the Brits took over and suppressed the Irish people, the Irish people started carrying a very powerful, lethal, and concealable weapon called the shillelagh. The shillelagh was made from Irish blackthorn, which is a very strong root had a decent weight, but it was very strong. And the shillelagh could do a lot of damage. And in the hands of a, of a good practitioner, it was quite formidable. And the Brits were justifiably concerned about how they could deal with the shillelagh. So they outlawed the shillelagh to prevent the Irish from carrying it. Of course, that wasn't as easy to eliminate as trying to eliminate firearms by saying it's, uh, it's illegal because the Irish weren't stupid, what they started to do then was take the shillelies and cutting them a little bit longer. And we now have the Irish blackthorn walking stick. Now, the British were interested, of course, in keeping their soldiers safe and increasing their power over the people by eliminating the weapons of choice that they had. And the shillelie was a concealable weapon, whereas a walking stick wasn't. But the Irish put them between a rock and a hard place because Ireland was a countryside, it was a rural country, and the British didn't want to seem overly imp- uh, oppressive by restricting walking sticks in the countryside. So that's how the Irish got around that, that law. The governments are using a reverse angle. They're trying to get around the law in the other way to try and keep us from having it. So we're going to watch this, but don't think for one second... In the wake of everything else we've seen, how the FBI and the government has been conspiring with left-wing activists and organizations like that idiot Zuckerberg that owns Facebook and the other guy, Jack Dorsey, who ran Twitter, to try and suppress information that was harmful to the Bidens in the presidential election and deplatform President Trump and try and prevent him from getting out his messages to his people, Uh, this is all part of the same cabal trying to undermine Supreme Court rulings. They just don't like it that Donald Trump was able to put three conservative justices on that court and change the court markedly. He's why I said he was the greatest president of my lifetime, and he will wind up being, unless something really amazing happens in the twilight of my life, the most consequential president of my time, even though he only served one term. And if he had gotten two terms in a row, I don't think there would have been anyone that could have touched him in terms of being the most consequential president of the United States. And I pray to God, as we now await another day or so for the Christ child to be born, that in this holy time of the year, that God sees fit to look favorably upon the United States, even though many of its citizens have turned their back on God and on The civil aspect of our society, of all societies, that emanates from a belief in a higher power and allows Donald Trump to retake the White House and bring order back to this country. You know, there's many people that talk about the separation of church and state. That has been bastardized over the years. Supreme Court, well, I should say, the Constitution of the United States never meant that it had to be separation of church and state the way it's being interpreted now. All it meant was that the state or the country could not establish a state religion like the Brits did with the United Anglican Church of England when Henry VIII established it because the Catholic Church wouldn't grant him a divorce from his wife. So he created his own church, installed himself as the head, and gave himself a divorce. It didn't mean you can't mention God in the public discourse. It didn't mean we shouldn't say God in the Pledge of Allegiance. It just means that we cannot establish a particular religion. We can't say, uh, Methodists, that's the state religion of the United States, or Lutheran Protestant is the state, or Roman Catholicism is the religion of the United States. No. That's what it meant. You can't establish a particular religion. It didn't say you couldn't believe in God. Apparently. These leftist atheists that abound want you to take the position or want to take the position that allowing any mention of God, regardless whether it's a denomination or not, non-denominational, is inherent or is is, uh, uh, tantamount, I should say, to establishing religion. And so therefore, we have to have an atheist society. Well, it's kind of difficult to have... An atheist society or believe that the founding fathers wanted our society to be atheist because if you look on our currency, and we've always had currency, I'm looking right now at a $10 Federal Reserve note, a $10 bill in the United States. The United States of America. Turn it over, and it says very clearly and very prominently, under the words the United States of America, in God we trust. It didn't say, we don't trust in God. It says, in God we trust. And these leftists who hate God so much and anything to do with God seem perfectly comfortable spending this money, which says, in God we trust. I'm not aware of anyone who's sued. It may have happened, but I'm not aware of anyone who's sued to remove God from our currency. And they go to a court, the Supreme Court, which starts its sessions by saying, God bless this hallowed court. (laughs) So uh, I don't uh, quite understand uh, what they think they're doing. But I'm glad that we had the time to visit today. I I did want to have this little uh, episode just to give you something to listen to, perhaps, over the course of the... Holiday, if you have a little free time and you want to sit back and also to take the opportunity, as I said at the opening, to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas, uh, a Happy Hanukkah, and a Happy New Year. And uh, I wish everyone good fortunes, good health and long life for the coming year. And for all you children out there who may be listening, I hope you get everything you want for Christmas and um, give your parents a hug and Parents, hug your children. They're the most precious thing we have. For the Jamie Durie Show, God bless you. God bless America. I'm Jamie Durie.
1: As in olden days, happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who were dear to us will be near to us once more. we all will be together if the fates allow until then we'll have to muddle through somehow so A merry little Christmas Now Once again As in olden days Happy golden days Of your Faithful friend yeah.